All right, well, we just finished up a five-week series on relationships, and um, I thought before we uh, got to Easter Sunday in a couple of weeks that we would take a few weeks and uh, really share some of the heart of the church and some of God's heart for uh, those who belong to the church, those who claim to follow Jesus, and uh, really um, an attempt to challenge us as a church, uh, to push us um, in our faith to strengthen us in uh, the mission that God has set before us and the purpose that he's um, created us for. And so I hope that over the next two weeks that we can uh, just be inspired to live our lives out in such a way that we bring glory um, to Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not, but you have potential within you to literally save lives. That God has destined for each of us to play a role in his story in the earth that he created us with a purpose. The purpose is ultimately to bring glory to his son Jesus, but he uses us in doing that to affect the lives of people around us. That's why you're in the family that you're in. That's why you work with the people you work with. That's why your sphere of influence looks like it does because only you can accomplish what God's called you to do. No one else in all of the earth can accomplish your purpose for you. And so I want to push us over the next few weeks uh, to step into that purpose and to realize the potential that's inside of us to impact the people around us. Uh, now, there are people around us who are hurting, who are in pain. That can be obvious at times. But there are also people around us who don't know that they need to be saved, that their lives seem uh, to be heading in a direction that they would approve of, that they have uh, aspired for. And um, God sometimes uses us to intersect with people, whether they know it, whether we know it or not, uh, to change their life, ultimately to put them on a path, spiritually speaking, um, to encounter who God is and the hope that he has provided for them. Now, if you've ever played hide-and-seek with a young child, you know that children typically have a favorite hiding spot. My son Landon has a favorite hiding spot. Um, it's on an end table beside our couch uh, that has a shelf on the bottom of it. And uh, we keep some, uh, a blanket or two on that shelf under the end table. And he likes to get up under the blankets under the end table and hide. That's his spot. And when he first discovered that spot, it was a really good spot. It took us a while to find him. And ever since we found him, he keeps migrating back to that spot. But he has this, this thing that he does where if you find him and, and other people are playing the game, he'll say, he'll say, don't tell people about my secret spot. In other words, like, I'm going to hide there again, and I don't want people to know where I'm going to hide. So keep this a secret just between us. Okay, I know that you've discovered my secret, but this gives me an edge in life. Now, we don't... As adults, as we grow older, play a lot of hide-and-seek, per se. But I think in the competitive world that we live in, there are certain things that we feel give us an edge. There are certain pieces of information that we discover, uh, that we gravitate towards, that we would prefer certain people not to discover because we feel as if it gives us an edge, right? In the workplace, uh, on the sports fields, um, in various roles, growing up playing video games, there are certain codes that I would discover, and I didn't want anybody to find out about these secrets because I felt as if they gave me an edge. It gave me a step ahead when it came to the competition. 
And I don't think that any of us would admit this about our walk with Jesus, but sometimes we live as if the secret that we have discovered is beneficial towards us, that gives us a leg up in life. And sometimes we live as if it's a secret to be hidden rather than a secret to be shared, rather than a truth to be shared. And I want us today to realize that um, our faith in Christ, the relationship that we've found in Him, if you claim to follow Jesus, isn't a secret to be hidden because it gives us a leg up on the competition in life, per se, but rather it's a truth that should be shouted from the mountaintops because the people in our lives need to discover the hope that we've found if they haven't yet. And so I'm going to go to a story in the New Testament book of Mark. It's written by a man named Mark, and uh, he shares of his encounters with Christ. This is his perspective, and I want to start reading in Mark chapter number 2. If you're visiting with us today, um, you can almost look at today as kind of a family talk. Have you ever had to have a family talk? Um, I've had to have a family talk lately because my kids have been throwing their toys over our neighbor's fence. Um, And we recently met that neighbor. That neighbor wasn't excited to meet us, but that neighbor pulled up in our driveway and knocked on our door with a handful of toys. Um, And so we had to have a family talk. It wasn't a fun family talk. Today's family talk isn't that type of family talk. It's not like, hey, family, we're in trouble. We're not doing something right. But rather it's just, hey, we can do incredible things together. So, so if you're visiting, if you're kind of new to Synergy Church, you can kind of look at today's message through that lens, uh, but hopefully it will encourage you in your life as well. Mark chapter number 2, starting in verse 1. Mark says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, Capernaum was a little fishing village on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it says that Jesus had entered this village again. And people uh, proclaimed that he had come home. So let me kind of catch you up to this moment in Mark's story. Uh, Just a chapter before, in chapter 1, we see that um, Capernaum is the hometown of two brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew. They were fishermen. Uh, also the hometown to two other fishermen, James and John. And Jesus first called them as his disciples here in Capernaum. Uh, Jesus had just launched his public ministry and he was calling disciples to be his followers. And Capernaum is where that took place. Um, He went on from there to begin teaching the people in their synagogues. He would drive out demons. He would perform miracles. Word about Jesus spread throughout that area. So much so that in verse uh, number, starting in verse number 40 of chapter 1, we see that Jesus has an encounter with a, a man who has leprosy, and Jesus heals the man of his leprosy, and he asks something strange of this man. He asks him to go and not tell anyone what Jesus did for him. That seems strange, right? Why would Jesus ask you to hide what he was doing? But the people had heard of Jesus and what he was doing, and they were flocking to him in droves. I mean, they were just coming to meet this man, Jesus, to hear him teach. And and this man with leprosy was so excited for what Jesus did in his life that he couldn't keep his mouth shut. You ever had Jesus do something for you and you just got to tell somebody about it? It just spills out in your life to those around you. You just want to declare what he's done in your life. And he does this and the people just came from everywhere to see Jesus. And so Jesus had to withdraw from the region for a few days 
He had to kind of take a break. He had to get away and, and be quiet for a while. And we see that he is now entering back into Capernaum. And the people are already hearing that Jesus had come. Verse 2, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Jesus was teaching them the truths of God. He was declaring to them the spiritual truths for their life. And people were so excited to hear what he was teaching that the synagogue, the home that they were in, was filled and overflowing. No one could fit in this home. Even outside the door, there was such a crowd that was gathered that no one could even get near Jesus. Standing room only. Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? If people would hear about Jesus and flock to the gathering where the word of God was being preached. So Jesus was teaching and the people were gathered around intent, listening to discover anything that he might say that has potential to change their lives. Such an incredible scene. And then something crazy happens. It says some men came. Bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. We don't know how many men total it was that came, but four of them were carrying a paralyzed man, a man who was lame. Uh, we assume that he was lame from birth, but whatever his situation in life, he was paralyzed and he couldn't get to Jesus on his own. And this group of men, four of them specifically carried them to Jesus. But when they got there, they found that they showed up just a little late. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. You want to talk about a bold step to get someone to Jesus. You want to talk about people who believed that Jesus had potential to radically transform and change their friend's life. These were people that wouldn't take no for an answer. These were people that saw an impossible situation. They could not get to Jesus and they thought outside of the box and they said nothing is going to stop us from getting our friend to Jesus. They climb up on the roof and begin to dig through the roof until there's a hole in the meeting place where Jesus was teaching. And you can imagine the chaos that was breaking out. You can imagine the outrage of the people that were listening to Jesus. And then down through this hole in the roof, these four men lowered their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, notice that, not when Jesus saw the paralyzed man's faith, when Jesus saw the faith of the four men that brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now Jesus, we brought him to you because he's paralyzed. He needs to walk again. But Jesus saw something deeper than that in his life. He saw that there was a spiritual void. He saw that there was a, a spiritual need in his life. And so rather than speaking specifically to his paralyzed state in that moment, he saw the faith of these men. And he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Leave it to the church people. Leave it to the religious people to be skeptical at what Jesus is doing. Right? Everything was going good until you started digging through the roof and now you've disturbed our meeting place and now he's going to act like he can forgive sins. Who is this man? 
And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, in this chaotic meeting place, this gathering of people, uh, so numerous that people wouldn't even fit in the room, chaos breaks out. He says your sins are forgiven to a man who has a physical need. People are skeptical and think that he shouldn't be saying things like that. He perceived their thoughts and says to those who were thinking it, why are you thinking such things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? I love how Jesus confronts their religious spirit. You think I don't have the right to forgive sins? Well, let me just ask you, which would be easier for me to say your sins are forgiven, or for me to say, take your mat, stand to your feet, and walk? Now, Capernaum was a fishing village of about 1,500, perhaps 2,000 people. I would assume that everyone in this town knew this paralyzed man and knew the condition that he had lived his life in. And so he says in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I mean, just imagine with me for a moment that you hear Jesus is in town. You've heard that he's been driving out evil spirits. Uh, you've seen people leave uh, their livelihood to follow this man. People are hearing of what he's doing and gathering to hear him. And, and he's left for a few days. He's back and everyone wants to hear what he's got to say. And so you're packed into this room. You're packed into this synagogue. People are spilling out into the courtyard. People are just leaning into the doors, trying to hear anything they can from Jesus. When this disturbance breaks out, this interruption, the, the simplicity of the moment, the, the silence of the crowd in listening to Jesus was broken by a desperate group of men who loved a friend enough to dig through a roof and interrupt Jesus himself so that they could lower their friend to him. And Jesus not only heals him of his paralyzed state, but he forgives his sins. He makes him spiritually new. These friends perhaps didn't know the potential that they had to bring change to their paralyzed friend. But they were stubborn enough, they were committed to him enough, they loved him enough to just go and take him to Jesus just to see what would happen. And I would love nothing more than for this type of story to be the story of Synergy Church. In fact, I believe that there's four words that we can kind of take from this story and embrace as words that should drive us in our approach to doing church. You know, people do church in different ways. There's traditional churches, there's non-traditional churches, there's denominational churches, there's non-denominational churches. And we all look different, maybe we sound different, maybe we gather in different types of places. Some people gather in gyms, while some people gather uh, in facilities that they own. But whatever it looks like, we've been given one specific mission from Jesus himself that's undeniable. 
I don't care what you look like or where you meet or what the crowd looks like. I don't care how small you are or how large you are. If you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, you've been called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded them. That is your mandate from heaven. You don't get the option of enjoying church so much for yourself that you don't extend the experience that you've had with Jesus to those around you. We have a mission. We have a purpose. At Synergy, we like to say uh, that we exist to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. We believe that there is potential in this room and the people who call Synergy Church home to literally impact this community and change lives. Now, I think in this story, there's four words that we can embrace as a church that would help us to see the potential inside of us to bring change to those around us. And the first word that we should embrace is belief. That we should be a church that is full of belief That if belief would fit into a container, our container as a church should be overflowing with belief. And by belief, I mean that we know and believe in our hearts that Jesus can change lives. Lives of people who don't deserve for their lives to be changed. Lives of people whose lives we would never imagine would embrace change. Church has become such a staple in our communities that people are familiar with church. And in our minds, some people choose not to go to church because they know what church is about. And they have chosen not to embrace that lifestyle. But I wonder if we truly believe that Jesus can change lives, if we truly in our heart embrace the fact that Jesus can do miraculous things in the lives of people that we live amongst, if we would actually treat our relationships differently. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who you would just anticipate? We say we don't want to judge people. We would just, we would just guess that they're probably far from God maybe by the way they talk, maybe by their actions, the things they do, that we would just assume that they are not godly people, that they don't pretend to love Jesus, that they don't try to live according to the principles that are taught in Scripture. I've got people like that in my life that I look at, and I'm just like, I mean, it would be an absolute miracle if they ever decided to follow Jesus Christ. I mean, their lifestyle is such anti-Jesus that it would literally take a miracle. And as I was thinking this week, I was thinking, you know, there are people in my life who are paralyzed. Now, they might not be physically paralyzed, like they may not be lame physically where they can't walk, they can't function on their own without help. But people are paralyzed by different things in life. There are people in our lives that are paralyzed by fear. They're emotionally paralyzed to the point where it's difficult for them to get out of bed every morning. There's people in our lives that are paralyzed by their health. Some people are facing bad news from doctors. I just heard of 
uh, someone at my former church this week, a, a young lady that is way too young to have found out that she is potentially dying of cancer, aside from a miracle of God. And there's people in our lives that have been paralyzed by that type of news. There are people in our lives that are paralyzed by addictions and habits. Their lives are controlled by substances and abuses that they don't even want to be part of their life, but they feel trapped and stuck in a lifestyle that they can't get out of if they tried to. There are people in our lives that are paralyzed. They're in difficult places. And if we're honest with ourselves, at times we think that they are beyond the grace of God. At least if I'm honest, I find myself there sometimes. Like I'll have a conversation with someone and, and we can even talk about church and I'll just say, these they are not church folk. They do not want anything to do with God. They're not pretending to be a follower of Jesus. They're not pretending to be churchgoers. They're not pretending to be religious at all. In fact, they're everything opposite of that lifestyle. And I've been guilty at times of my life of just kind of writing them off and just saying, I'll go on and look for the next person that I can share the hope of Jesus with. But what if this group of men, specifically these four friends that carried this paralyzed man, had had that type of mindset? Who knows if they had been directly impacted from Jesus' teaching? Who knows if these were the men that he drove demons out of and impure spirits out of in just the chapter before? But whatever got into them, they had this strong belief that if they could just get their friend to Jesus, then he could do something for him. And we've got to live life in such a way that we truly believe that no matter who it is in our life and how far gone we think they may be from the things of God, that God can do miraculous things in their life. We just have to believe enough to want to bring them to Jesus. And I know that that's easier said than done at times, but I just want to ask you, do you always believe that Jesus can change the life of everyone in your life? Because I'm a firm believer that everyone is in your life for a reason. You didn't choose your family, per se. You may have chosen your workplace, but you didn't always get to choose who you work with. There aren't just a bunch of coincidences in life by which you keep running into people. I believe that God has put us all in a place in life for a reason. And if we'll believe that Jesus can change their lives, then we can see him do incredible things. The second word that I look at in this story is a word compassion. Not only do I pray that we as a church are a church that's full of belief that Jesus can change anyone's life, but I pray that we're always a church that's full of compassion. You know, it's possible to believe that God can change a person's life and not necessarily want him to. You ever heard the news? You ever watch the news and just get depressed like, man, there are some evil people in this world and, and, and have thoughts or make statements like, oh, they just need to they just, death row. We just need to get them out of society and remove them. I mean, they are evil people. And I wonder sometimes if we look at the lives of those around us and we don't have the compassion that Jesus would have for people. 
Look at what Jesus example that he set for us with the man with leprosy in Mark chapter 1. Verse 40 says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Now leprosy was, these were people who were outcasts of the day. They were not allowed to be around people. They were not allowed to be in contact with people. So he was, he was crossing some lines just coming to Jesus. And when most people would have said, get him out of my presence, listen to what it says, verse number 41. Filled with compassion. Filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. You got to be kidding. He touched the untouchable. He extended his hand to take hold of someone who was forbidden to be in contact with people because of his physical condition. Why would Jesus do that? Because he was filled with compassion. You know, when you're filled with compassion, you'll do things that most people won't. And there are certain things and certain people in your life that God will give you a compassion for. And while other people may look at them with no compassion and with a heart of condemnation and a heart of judgment, if we'll have a compassion of Jesus and see that no one is untouchable in life, that compassion will compel us to bring people to Jesus. I want us to be a church that's full of compassion, that, that looks at people not with eyes of judgment in this world, not with eyes of, of critical understanding based on people's actions and past and their history, but with compassion to see the potential that Jesus could bring in their life. If we'll have compassion on people the way Jesus had compassion on people, it will cause us to do things in their life that would lead them to Jesus. That we would be a church that's full of belief that God can change anyone's life. There would be a church that's full of compassion that would cause us to extend a hand to those that we wouldn't normally extend a hand to. And that we would be a church that's full of persistence. We've got to be full of persistence if we're going to see the lives of people in our lives changed. If we aren't persistent, then we'll never fully realize the potential in our lives to bring change to someone else's life. I mean, think about this. Think about this. Something inside this group of men was stirred because they had a belief that Jesus could bring change to this man. And not only did they get stirred by that belief, but they had compassion on this friend, this friend that couldn't get to Jesus on his own. In their heart, they said, to one another, we've got to get him to Jesus. Jesus can change his life. And they so loved him, they had such compassion on him that they put him on a mat and they carried him. Now, it would have been easy for them just to see the crowds and say, it's just not your day. It's just not going to happen today. We can't even get in there. I mean, I'm trying to think of what the man on the mat would say, the paralyzed man. Guys, don't worry about it. It's, it's really not that big a deal. Look, it's crowded. We'll catch him another day. Maybe, maybe he'll be out teaching down by the lake or something. We can run into him another time. It's, it's not a big deal, guys. Really, just don't worry about it. And these men said, oh, no. No. He has something that he has to offer to you. And we will not stop until you have received what he's got to give you. 
I can imagine them saying, excuse me, excuse me. Guys, we've got to get through. And I can imagine the people in this gathering saying, get out of here. Stop. What are you guys doing? And they looked at each other. And this thought just popped into their mind. We can't get in this way. It's not going to happen. We've got we to do something different. You know, you know, what can we do? Let's go up on the roof. We'll dig a hole and we'll go down through. And, and I can hear the paralyzed man saying, oh, no, you're not taking me up on that roof. You guys are crazy. And they were. They took this man up onto the roof. And they set him down. And they begin to dig a hole through the roof. Who does that? Who does that? Except for someone who believes that Jesus can change their friend's life and has compassion on him enough that they're compelled to see that their friend met Jesus. And they're persistent enough not to give up just because they invited him to church and they said no. Hey man, we, you know, come try my church? No. Okay, cool man. Cool. Awesome. Like, I did my job. I invited them, right? They said no. That's on them. That's not driven by compassion or belief. If we're driven by compassion or belief, we'll ask again. And we'll ask again. And we'll have a conversation. And we'll keep bringing it up. And we'll start saying things like, look, man, I'm just telling you. I'm not going to quit asking you until you come to church with me. You come to church with me, you decide it's not for you, that's your decision. But you're going to come one way or another. It's going to happen one day. Either that or you're going to shoot me because you're going to get tired of me asking you. Look, I'll pay for lunch, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Come to church with me. How persistent are we in leading people to hear the word of God? How persistent are we in bringing people to Jesus? And I'll be the first to confess and say I'm not nearly as persistent as I need to be. As I read this story this week, I just... And I was under conviction at how easy it is for me to give up on people when it seems as if it's just not going to happen. I've invited people to church. They've said no. And in my heart, I've, I've just quit. I've just given up on some people. And I felt this week saying, there's potential inside of you to save a life. But you've got to be persistent. You've got to be willing to be rejected and not let it shake you. You've got to be able to push forward based on a belief and a compassion for the people in your life that God can change them, that God can save them, that you're so persistent that you don't let obstacles get in your way. I mean, if you've got to dig a hole through the roof and lower them down, you'll do what it takes. You'll think outside the box. You'll make it happen. And then lastly, we've got to be a church that's full of expectation. I mean, you think about these four men who believed that Jesus could change their friend's life, who had compassion enough to carry him to Jesus when he couldn't get there on his own, who were persistent enough to get up on a roof and dig a hole, you can guarantee when they lowered down, they expected Jesus to do something for them. They didn't go through all that trouble. They didn't go through all that scrutiny. They didn't have to listen to people say, guys, stop, you're causing a scene. Somebody, security, get up there, take care of this. They didn't go through all that because they didn't expect nothing to happen. I can see them on their knees just looking through the roof like, what's he going to do? How's he going to do this? What's going to happen? Something's going to happen. His life's going to get changed. 
And they didn't even see his real need. See, I'm convinced some of the greatest moments and opportunities we have in life to see lives saved, to save a life, is when people have legitimate needs. When marriages are in shambles, when, when people get bad news from doctors, when, when, when finances are at rock bottom, when people in our life are hurting, we have a greater opportunity to see them come to Jesus. When people are at rock bottom, they'll try anything, right? I got nowhere else to turn. What's it going to hurt for me to go to church? So the people in our lives who are paralyzed by whatever it is in this life, we have an opportunity to lead them to Jesus. And sometimes we simply expect Jesus to meet their financial needs or their physical needs or their relational needs or their emotional needs. And we pray for people based on those needs, but Jesus sees beyond the need. He sees the heart. And you know what you know what keeps me up at night? It's when I hear that someone in our community or someone in our area passes away, whether it's tragic or whether they lived a long life, is I can't help but think, where are they right now? Like they've left this life, and what does eternity look like for them? right now. I'll never forget a third grade at Big A Elementary. That's Stevens County for you. Big A Elementary. Don't ask me where the name comes from. Third grade, Mr. Worley's classroom. I'm in the bathroom. A guy named Brian walks in, and there was just something in the bathroom in the third grade that came over my heart that just had compassion on this kid named Brian. Brian was, he got in trouble a lot. I don't know what his home life was like. I was just a third grader, but I knew that he got in trouble a lot. And I can just remember there in the bathroom seeing Brian like eternally rather than physically. And I can remember being gripped with just this overwhelming sense of like if he died right now, like where would, well, would he go to heaven? Would he go to hell? I didn't know. And I can remember as a third grader, I had no clue what I was saying. But I was just like, hey, man, if you died today, would you go to heaven? He's like, dude, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like, I don't know. I'm just concerned about you. I don't, have, I don't have a preacher story like I led him to the Lord right there in the bathroom. I don't. I don't know where Brian is today. I just remember that was the first time in my life that I felt a compassion for people. See, some of us, we have the gift of evangelism. Not everyone does. Just because you don't stay up at night thinking about things like that doesn't mean you're a bad person or a bad follower of Jesus. But I do want you to embrace the fact that you have potential to guide someone's eternity. And as a church, collectively, if we will work together because we believe that Jesus can change anyone's life and we have compassion on people who can't get to Jesus on their own. That's everyone. And we expect that he will do great things in their lives. 
because we're persistent on bringing them to Jesus. There is no height to which God can use us. There is nothing that can keep us from seeing this community, our families, our workplaces, our classrooms transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. God did not save us just to make our lives happier. He didn't rescue us. He didn't die on a cross for us so that we could be content with knowing him. He's commissioned us to share the gospel message of Jesus with the world. Now, I know there's different ways we can do that. We can knock on doors, we can pass out tracts, we can stand on street corners. But I'm convinced one of the most effective ways is to bring our people in our lives who are hurting, who are desperate, who are in need to the place where Jesus' word is being taught. And we can believe together as a church that God will change lives. Easter's two weeks away, and statistically, it's the greatest single Sunday of any year by which someone will most likely say yes and go into church. And I want to challenge us to invite someone. Not someone we don't know, not some random stranger that we, you know, pass out some card or something, but in our lives. Who do we work with? Who's in our family? Who's in our classrooms? Who are we in contact with? How has Jesus positioned us to have an impact on someone's life that we can simply say, hey, Easter Sunday, March the 27th, I need you to be with me at church. I'll pick you up, whatever those, I'll take you to lunch, get you breakfast. What's it going to take? And if you get a no, you ask again. If you get a no, you ask again. And if you get an ultimate no, it doesn't mean you stop asking because Easter isn't the only day of the week that you can come. But what I'm convinced of is that Easter isn't just a holiday by which we have traditions to feel good about being Christians. It's an opportunity that we have to save lives. And we're going to share a clear and compelling gospel message, and I would love for you to leverage your relationships because you believe Jesus can change lives. You have compassion on those who are hurting that are around you. You're persistent in bringing them to Jesus, and you expect that he'll meet their needs. We can be the church that literally saves lives. That potential is in your life. That potential is in my life. Let's make it happen. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are so gracious to allow us to play a role in your story. You don't need us. There's nothing that we have to offer that would ever impress you or cause you to stand in awe of our talents or abilities or our popularity or our fame. There's no amount of money that we could ever possess or no possessions that would impress you. But you choose, in spite of all that, to give us opportunities to play a role in your story. And I believe, Father, that you put people around us for a reason. I believe that you have allowed us to come into contact with people who may be hurting, who may be paralyzed in their own means for a reason. And my prayer, Lord, is that we would live life 
with such a belief that you can change lives and will have such a compassion on those around us and will have such a persistent pursuit of bringing people to hear your message and we will expect you to do in their life what only you can do. I pray that that potential within us would be ignited and we would leverage those relationships for the sake of your son, Jesus. Salvation isn't a secret, Father, by which you've granted us to have a leg up in life. It's, it's a truth that should be proclaimed from the mountaintops. And while some of us may be fearful of initiating conversations or asking certain questions, I pray, Lord, that you would give us a boldness and a confidence a compassion, a belief, a persistence, and an expectation that would lead us to reach out to those hurting around us and offer the greatest hope that can be found in this life, and that's a relationship with your son, Jesus. I pray that Synergy Church will be a harvest field for your kingdom. I pray that you would use us together for a greater good. I pray that we would be a church that cares less about what religious people think about us and more about the needs of the hurting around us. And I ask you, Father, to use us for your glory. May we reach lives, may lives be saved, and may we realize the potential inside of us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Everyone said, amen.